Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Starving Universe On Call. I am Paul France, owner of France Games. I'm an SMB Online, FedCom Online, and Starfleet Warlord. Just a reminder how to join us for a talk cast every Thursday starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can either call on the phone to call 605-562-0444. Just follow the directions or call ID 17702. Or you can participate on the web. Just go to the TalkShoe website at www.talkshoe.com and search for call ID 17702 or SFU on call or Starfleet Universe on call. You shall find us there. Or if you want the best, the very best, Online experience, go over to twitch.tv. Yes, go over to twitch.tv, twitch.tv slash SFU on call, and you will find us there. You can join us for the live broadcast of this wonderful, wonderful podcast and be able to chat with the your feller Starfleet SFU on call people. And of course, if you need to contact me for any reason, my email address is sfuoncall at gmail.com. That's s-f-u-o-n-c-a-l-l at gmail.com. Also, if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter. My account there is sfuoncall, while Twitter still exists. And of course, um, also my personal account is Paul Franz, P-A-U-L-F-R-A-N-Z. There's no T in that. And also, if you want my business account, which is Franz Games, F-R-A-N-Z-G-A-M-A-S. Again, no T. And of course... If you want to, this lovely podcast gets turned, sorry, talk cast gets turned to a podcast available on various other feeds around the net. When it comes to ADB this week, it's been pretty quiet. I'd say too quiet, but probably not. Um, I know, I know this, the Steves are, are working hard work. I, I saw some, some minor posts about... Um, Mr. Patrick getting stuff into the computer that had not been in the computer yet. You know, some I mean, some old stuff that was from way back before the, the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, and he's working on getting that in. So, you know, do a little touch typing to get him, you know, keep him busy on things other than new products. Also, he's, he is running the um, Sapphire Star Tournament. Just let just keep you a reminder about that. Also, of course, there's plenty of wonderful uh, Prime Directive players can find multiple treasures on StarfleetGames.com. You can go there and you can find all kinds of wonderful stuff. Also, Starfleet, Starfleet Battle Force. There's some, some uh, playtest um, cards on the website, go to the main web, you know, go to starfleetgames.com, go to Master Index, and you should be able to find it there. You can find all kinds of uh, wonderful stuff, including desktop um, background images. You want to find some ones like of an Andromedan ship. Sorry, excuse me. There. And of course, this, you know, 
Moving onward and forward to the SWP Online Tournament, Sapphire Star 13 is the finals are going to be played. Now it's just down to the finals. It's going to be Kingsdale versus Mac Jack. That's going to be the finals are going to be played April 21st. That's Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Yes, and it's daylight time at, at this point. So it's EDT. Know, or Eastern Time, you know, for those people that all are on daylight saving time by, at this moment in time. Um, when it comes to the client, not much going on there. Um, when it comes to library report, not much going on there. I've gotten quite a few ships, but I need to go and process them, you know, find the time and, and sit down and process those ships, both for the FedCom and SFB libraries. So with that, that is the news for this week. It's the Mongo Paul friends welcoming you to Star for the Universe on call. And tonight we've got me. We've got Gary. How you doing, Gary? Not too bad. Hello, everybody. Long time no here. <laughs> Indeed so. <laughs> and uh, don't mind me. Uh, whatever. I'll figure it out later. But, and of course, Doug. How you doing, Doug? Hi, I'm here. How are you? Good. Doing good. There. Okay, now it's not time to mute all, to turn that down. Okay, now I'm ready. Dang. Yeah, we're starting a little late today and getting things, getting things ready for tonight was, oh, my meeting for... My the sports association I'm I'm I'm, I'm a member of is ran a little bit late today, so and I had to renew my my membership and all that kind of thing, so I had to stay a little later than normal. So, but anywho, Gary, is there a particular topic that you wanted to, that you came to discuss, or or just just came to? Well, uh... I guess uh, well, one thing I should mention is um, you probably I don't know if you've had it covered in the news portion or not, but um, EDB recently announced on the BBS that um, they're working on the Orion Master Starship book for Star Trek Battles. No, no, I missed that. I missed that. Because I know, I know they were working on other things, including um, getting some of the stuff that that was not computerized yet into the computer, which was always a good thing. Of course, I'm hopefully they'll have backups and. Backups for the backups and backups for the backups for the backups. You know, you never can have too many backups. Well, there, no. there had been um, work on module R1 and R6 as well, but um, I'm not sure. I think with R1, I think their rule book is up, but the SSC book is not up just yet. Mm -hmm. R6, I don't believe, is up yet, but the Orion Master Starship book, probably that's just the most recent thing that's going up. So. I don't know what it's going to mean in terms of the um, the publishing order. So, mm -hmm. but um, actually, I should probably check because uh, I don't know if R one because since R one was published, um, some of the SSDs, if I recall correctly, in R one are Empire specific, but others are for generic units. But I'm wondering 
since there's been so many other additional empires that have been added to the Alpha Octans. Ah, yeah. If you think about the Paradians and Carnivals and Module 26 and stuff, hmm. do they have the have they incorporated the material from those, for those empires into Module R1? Or hmm. is it still only the the empires that were around in like at the time R1 itself was published? Right, right. Initially. Yeah, exactly. Especially with... Um... If I recall correctly, one of the things in Module R1 was the bases, correct? Like the star bases, battle uh, battle stations. I, th- I thought. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't bet on there being new SSEs for, for empires that hadn't gotten them the first time. So, like, for example, right. the Paradians and Carnivons, I suspect that they probably have to wait for, like, um, if they ever decide to do a Module C6R, that includes, like, New ships and units for those empires. Maybe those you can go in there, or maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just tell people to just stick with the generic bases and mm-hmm. make do with them as best they can. Yeah, but um, well, right. Yeah. Um, well, and then, okay. yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say about the bases was that if I recall correctly, in module um, R one, the bases actually had a table saying, okay, you had you know, you had the different weapons you marked A, B, C, whatever. Um, and they would say, okay, the, the, this weapon, these weapons are, are, are disruptors, and these are phaser twos, or uh, and for that's for the Klingons, for the for like the Federation, these are photons, and these were phaser ones, you know, things like that, where they had a generic chart for the empires at the time, for for the bases, for like the star bases or the battle stations or the base stations, things like that. Mobile, mobile bases. Actually, that just occurs to me because, um, um, like, I think in, in the past we've talked about how some of the C6 weapons apply to starships, like mm-hmm. whether it's actually the Paragons or Carnivals themselves, or if it's pirate ships like the Orions or the Zosnum or others using some of those weapons. But if you think about it, it's probably a fair question to ask what effects... Um, the likes of disruptor cannons and quantum wave torpedoes and stuff have when it comes to base defense. Because um, uh, for one thing, I can probably think about how, um, say, if you have a Carnivon base, um, depending what the firing arcs are for the disruptor cannons, maybe that might help against the Andromedans because the disruptor cannon has the same quote-unquote disruptive effect as mm-hmm. the disruptor bulls. Right. Uh, so, and also, if your base has lots of... Um, uh, auxiliary warp reactors, then you'd probably be able to afford the overload cost more easily. Like if the Android gets too close and you want to try to fill up the PA panels more quickly. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, with the quantum wave torpedo, um, you've got the question, you've got the thing about um, like each individual torpedo is not going to hit any harder than it does for um, ship bounces, uh, launchers. But right. You've probably got more spare uh, power in terms of being able to overload them if you want to. But then, I don't know, I guess you'd have to check and see if the arcs don't overlap, then um, is that necessarily helping you or not helping you? Because mm-hmm. on ships, the arcs are usually 120 degrees. Um, and if, you, if that applies as far as that bases as well, then you're not really in a position to concentrate your fire um, at not either. So uh, would that mean that a Parabian base would be relatively speaking, in more trouble, or would the weight of fire from launching every turn uh, be a factor in some way? Mm-hmm. 
Agreed. Um, well, that's a, I just have to wait and see because I would think that that yeah, that's the one thing is because their bases will the will the arcs change at all, or will, or will they? Is it purely a function of the weapon itself that that they have the certain maximum arcs and that's it? No, I'm not, I'm not sure what the philosophy is when it comes to the the weapons that are on ships. You know, do the, does the limitations hold hold true for a, a you know star base or a, a battle station or base station? Well, uh, I'm trying to think now because um, I don't have it to hand. But in Module C six, in the rulebook portion, there is a section that does tell you. Um, how you adapt a generic base of whichever type to represent a parading or carnivon base. But oh. I, don't remember, I don't remember if um, the carnivon base gets the, either the heel nippers or the death bolt as well, or if they only get the disruptor cannons. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't have module C6 at, at hand to look that up. Well, that might be an interesting topic for another day. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Oh, actually, now that I think about it, because we just mentioned that um, there's an Orion Master Starship book in the works, but that actually raises another question. Um, should the Master Starship book account for the Parade and Carnivon uh, timelines in the sense that, because um, Orion in, in Module C6, Orion pilots are allowed to use quantum wave torpedoes and disruptor cannons, but they're barred from using death bolts and hair meters. And also, there's the question in terms of um, which cartel has access to which uh, weapon system. Mm-hmm. Because um, there's only one of them that treats Paradian territory as a home territory if you're using the Machi P timeline. But then on the other hand, if you have, um, if you are uh, in the, the Carnival Empire timeline, that's the one where the Carnivals are still on the map, like they haven't taken over the wind coaster then you still have winds and a cluster cartel as normal. So because they're an adjacent empire, do they basically get added on to the, you know, the way like the, the winds, the cluster cartel Orions mm-hmm. currently treat the three surrounding empires as an expanded home territory. So they get equal access to all three. So does that become equal access to all four in the sense that um, if you play the cluster Orions in that timeline, you get disruptor cannons as a home weapon, as opposed to an imported weapon. Understood. Yeah, that's a question. Whether it's going to have that available in in the book or not, um, or at least having it as an option in the book that that they say, yeah, well, if you're, oh yeah, I would honestly, I would think that they would go through they would stick to the main timeline and maybe at the back of the book um say these you know if you follow these alternate timelines you know these these are the adjustments that that are made that, that i would think that's the way it would it would play out when it comes to the master ship book for the orions maybe because um I'm trying to think the other um well, actually, no, because the Borak and Paladine, because the Paladine, um, they just use, like, I guess, quote-unquote, regular weapons anyway. And the Borak, um, 
I think if you, even if you use them as a regular empire, I think a lot of their weapons are unique to them, so there's relatively few of them that an Orion can take. But then those two empires are still technically playtests, so they're not as far along as the Module C6 empires in terms of being quote-unquote formally published. Right. So, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that they matter as much in in terms of being in the Master Starship book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like it was the Module C4, the the training. Oh, the training something. Training Center. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So actually, you know, it just occurred to me that um, um, Module R4J itself has a couple of uh, alternate timelines. And in one of those, the Paravians actually become the main pirate faction. So basically what it means is that they use the ships that the Orion pirates use in the standard timeline, mm-hmm. except that every Paravian uh, cartel, so to speak, has automatically gets quantum wave torpedoes as a home technology on top of whatever technology they're lifting from the locals. Mm-hmm. So if okay, that that's a, that brings up a question um, that you know, and I, I don't know, which is about the origin timeline where the Paravians are basically are the, are the Orions. Basically, um, they they they're the pirates of of the Alpha um, Octant, and in that case, do they basically perform the, the same? Go <clears throat> Nagro Yankees. Um, they perform the same function, i.e., they have the ability to uh, to um, they have option mounts, so they can select different weapons based on where they're they're located. Their car, their the Paravian cartel is located. Is that what happens? Yeah, um, that's basically um, yeah. In in that timeline, they basically kind of um, become like like. Basically, the, uh, the only real difference is retaining the access to the quantum wave torpedo. But aside from that, they use standard Orion uh, engine doubling and option mounts. Oh, okay. All that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, you can still go with, like, you know, plasma if you're in a plasma empire or disruptors mm-hmm. if you're in a disruptor empire. That's what you Okay. But, okay, but, um, in that, in the, in that yeah, t- timeline... Actually, you think about it, that... You no, know, it's in that timeline, though... Do the basically are the Orions basically just Paravians? You know, I mean, meaning, do they use the same ship as, as the as the Orions? Yeah, that timeline basically just gives them. It basically just says that um, the Orions in that universe um, they never become the Orions as we know them. Mm-hmm. So they basically just um, I think I they use standard Federation ships or whatever. So. Uh, in their place, the Paravians spread across the Alpha Octans and developed the same kind of uh, technology for piracy that the R Orions would have in the standard timeline. Right. But do they use the same ships or do they have, or do they use Paravian ships that just are modified to have option mounts and, have, and just have the same technology uh, as the Orions? It's basically the same SSDs that you would use in the standard timeline for the Orions. Um, so they basically, at that point, they would have given up using their own um, ships. Uh, oh, okay. Because I think they still lose the homeworld in that timeline. Mm-hmm. So 
they have no home base, like their main shipyard has been destroyed. Right. And so they have to basically follow the same kind of um, decentralized system that the Orion's pirates use in the Standard Timeline. Mm-hmm. I think it's basically meant to be more, um, I guess you could say, form follows function. Oh, okay. Like they, they need these pirate ships to do the same things that the Orion pirates would have, uh, ships needed to do. And so uh, they basically end up more or less in the same. At least that's the way one of R4J says it. So right, right, right. Whether you agree with that from the story, but that's how that particular timeline presents the option. Mm-hmm. Understood. That would be interesting. Because of the question is, would they, would the Pravens really give up the their designs or ships, or would they be more of, in that case, a uh, emerging, you know, a, a kind of fusion of Pravian and Orion ships? You know, where, yeah, there are there's some modification to the ship to to allow it. To have those those Orion what was previously the Orion technologies, um, but it was still the the ships would kin back to the the the, the original Paravian ships. You know, so it wasn't purely well, form, form is, uh, um, is based on function. So yeah, I think part of it is that um, in the outboxes at least. Um, there are certain design trade-offs that you have to do, you have to follow, in order to be able to field a ship that has the reduced electronic signature that uh, a pirate ship has, in the sense that you get the, the plus two ECM, and you uh, basically end up with narrower profile and certain coating that you have to apply and so on. So um, you kind of basically have to move away from the kind of design that we would use now. You're, you're not wrong in the sense that um, even a regular Paragon ship is designed to be a pseudo-pirate. Like, mm-hmm. most of them can land on planets um, with right. a large boarding party complements, and uh, they have weapons that are pretty good at, um, uh, you know, taking down uh, freighters and stuff, whatever, and setting up boarding actions. But they're still full-size ships mm-hmm. that require a full-size construction yard. So... Um, and they don't necessarily have any stealth bonus. So it'll be a lot harder for them to hide what they're doing. So uh, it's only for that. It's the same reason, basically, because in the standard timeline, the very earliest Orion pirates that uh, defect from Orion, the homeworld, mm-hmm. they actually use the same ships for piracy that the Orion National Guard used for local defense. Mm-hmm. So it's only like later that they gave up those designs to move towards the the prototypes of the light raider and raider cruiser that we're more familiar with in the modern era. So uh, the whole reason why the the modern pirate ships that we know of came about is because um, just basically repurposing the. Uh, National Guard ships for piracy right. was not sufficient to suit the, the pirate purposes. Mm-hmm. So, I guess the logic that's being applied to this alternate timeline is that um, it's actually the Paragians who see themselves in that same situation, right. where they're the ones that have to um, 
go through that, I guess you could call it a painful transition. But in another sense, it, it might not necessarily be that painful because they're already building, uh, they're already used to the concept of having ships that are, can land on planets and so forth. So, um, I mean, maybe if you were doing a Shapeways miniature, it might not look exactly the same as the ones that the Orion's build. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, because uh, think about it, uh, a lot of the generic SSDs that exist in the um, uh, the universe, like for example, like a free trader or the priority transport, mm-hmm. um, or even like a Starbase. In reality, in, or sorry, in the actual universe, they look different empire by empire. But in terms of how they function in game terms, they're identical, right. except for like the weapon hunts or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's probably something similar. I mean. In in one's mind's eye, you could probably see the um, the Paravian pirate versions of these ships as right. being more kind of um, Paravian esque in terms of their layout. Mm-hmm. But in practical terms, you wouldn't need to create a whole bunch of new SSDs to play them. Right, right, right. So you know, they might have some perfunctory, you know, wings, but they don't follow any true function. They're more of like tail fins <laughs> in the old cars. You know, they really didn't perform any true function. It was just for look, the look of the, of the in that case, the car. But in, in the case of the previous, maybe the look of the ship, you know. But, um, uh, yeah, so actually, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, um, well, the Orion Raptor Starship book um, basically kind of like because think about it like this when the Tholian Master Starship book came out it actually doubled down on the home galaxy material mm-hmm. has a lot of additional it and Module R4T include a lot of additional material about what the Tholian uh, Empire actually looked like in the home galaxy just before the revolt not just in terms of the ships they used but in mm-hmm. terms of the support units, and also what kind of civilian units that the um, uh, the subjugated plants used, like the ones who basically provided the supplies that the civilians needed to build more spheres and stuff, and what ships they were allowed to use, like what shuttles they were used, and so forth. And what, uh, because some of them were given a small number of auxiliaries because there was piracy in M81 as well, and so the civilians didn't necessarily want to bother doing, you know, sorting it out all by themselves or letting the Satorians do it. There was sometimes like an intermediate step where a, a less a less untrusted, a less distrusted planet might be allowed to use like a certain number of armed auxiliaries to try to ward off um, pirate raids by themselves. Mm-hmm. But not so trusted enough that they'd be able to use those to launch a rebellion. So there was that kind of balancing act that they would have. And... Uh, but yeah, that's basically additional material that can now be leveraged for like a future product. Um, like I suspect that, um, or at least I hope that if we ever get a Plutorium Master Starship book, mm-hmm. it will basically offer the next step in terms of helping to fetch out the home galaxy as like a, a functional environment. And then uh, that maybe in the future might make a standalone M81 product more capable of working uh, as an actual campaign compatible setting. Mm-hmm. So, um, for that reason alone, I wonder. I mean, it's a different story because those are still, those still happened in the historical timeline. 
whereas in the uh, Orion case, they're kind of also in timelines. But still, you know, I mean, like, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, mm-hmm. I suppose there's, there's only one way to find out. Agreed, agreed. Um, since you, I don't remember you us talking since this happened, which is the release of the gunboats, Vedcom gunboats, the gunboats attack. I think it is the module. Um, and of course, the in my mind, the big issue for me as a Fedcom fan is that they're not going to be selling um, ship carts physical ship carts at the moment um basically due to cost um for to keep up the quality of the ship carts themselves which to me is disappointing um but you know i haven't i don't think we you and i ever talked about um gunboats attack you know, after it was released so what do you think of of, of it well definitely um it's definitely an interesting product it's got the um the Andromeda Adirond, mm-hmm. and it, um, it's actually led to a couple of interesting, because um, there have been various uh, hailing frequencies extras that have been um, uploaded since, like there's a, there's a ship card now for the Federation F-111. Um, I didn't think that was going to happen. And um, it's very kind of, um, I guess you could call it restricted in its um, uh, deployment. Mm-hmm. But there actually is, oh, I don't know if you've seen it already, but there actually is going to be some errata for the Adder PS for the Andromedans, basically allowing them to take them, instead of with other empires, they can take a number of PFs uh, based on how many full-size ships they have. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you look under the bonnet, it kind of maps to the, the allowances that casual PFs give you in SSB, although, of course, they won't use that for but with the Andromedans, that doesn't fly because unless you've got the Andromedan monitors, um, which aren't in FedCon yet, um, you need to transport the PF the same way that you would with mobile weapon platforms from SSB, which is basically internally. So um, there is an errata note that's been posted to the, the gumball feedback, feedback to, uh, like after action reports in, where they're basically going to um, revise the rulebook to... Uh, give them basically the same kind of uh, hmm? uh, availability and restrictions as most standard. I think you can still only take as many as six, but as long as you've got the hangar space room, you can take them. Understood. Yeah, I'm, 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 I brought it up and I see uh, back in February that Steve Cole said, and I quote, add to rules, and drum and adders are deployed differently from any other gunboats. Big surprise. Um, while there, are, there may be no more than six in any given force, they're not restricted by the number of ship ships. Number of ship present? I think that should be ships, not ship. Um, as described in FW 5W2A. Instead, using drum and satellite rules 5V1, for carriage and deployment, each adder requires one hangar point. Whoa, a full hangar point? 5 v one Yeah, so, um, well, bear in mind that in FedCom terms, um, it's three, four, and six hangar points for a Viper, a Cobra, or a, a Mamba, respectively. Okay, okay. And that actually, matches, that actually matches what a 
a mobile weapon platform or yeah. uh, an adder takes up over in the 30 battles as well. So mm-hmm. it's um, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Oh, agreed, agreed, agreed. I, 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 I didn't, to be honest, I didn't, I don't remember reading the FedCom rules when it comes to satellite ships. I was more concerned when I was reading the rules was more of the interaction of the PA panels, make sure the PA panels still worked relatively the same as SFB and um, a function of the that with the batteries of the Andromedans. Since I know when it comes to uh, the, the Andromedan um, energy system, it is quite a bit different than you know the regular ships, you know, relative, you know, Milky Way ships, even extra um, Milky Way ships. Um, but uh, the point being that um, you know, with with the, the differences when it comes to the Andromeda, and definitely with FedCom, FedCom the way it is played is different. You know, um, when it comes to phasers and uh, there's no there's no phaser capacitor in FedCom. You 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 fire the phaser directly from how much energy that you have available for the ship. So that changes things when it comes to energy the energy usage completely and the question is how does that um, sync up you know, with the Andromedans, because the Andromedans is a clo- is supposed to be a closed loop system. So I would, I would, that was that was my main focus when I was reading the Andromedan um, rules for FedCom, and I wasn't didn't really read about the, the satellite ships and you know the, and the number of hangar points that each just each ship has a specific one. Which previously, when it comes to SFB, you actually had to have your hangars. Configured a certain way. Um, for example, if you had two of the, of the medium satellite ships, you know, or actually that would be large satellite ships, you know, the, the like the Python, which is actually is a satellite ship, but it took up one and a half um, hangers and you hangar base. Um, and in that case, what you would actually have to do is have it so that. Mothership was configured that way, so it wasn't like the hangar um, hangar bays were actually one just big open space. Actually, there were separated um, hangar bays, you know, in, within the ship itself. You know, so and, th- and that makes sense. You know, for for Fedcom if. If they actually have, they use hanger points, which is it's more flexible. Um, it is relatively uh, it's easier. Obviously, it's it's simplified. It's easier to understand, and it doesn't have some limitations that are placed upon people who are playing the Andromedans and SFB. I.e., you know, in my in my mind, yeah, that means that you actually could have that same satellite ship that has like two. Two of the, the large satellite ships, like two pythons. If we can hold that, which definitely I think the Dominator could do that, you can actually have it so that then if you had 
more smaller satellite ships, you actually could also load them into that same ship. You know, so IE worked a little different. Yeah, SideCom doesn't need to, you don't need to worry about um, uh, hangar configurations in terms of um, mixing and matching your satellite ships or recovering them for that matter. So, say if uh, if one mothership brings uh, uh, Cobras and the other one brings Mandos, mm-hmm. then either can recover the other satellite ships at taking to. Understood. Yeah. Which, to me, is the wonderful advantage, of course. I have rarely... I, it's not that I haven't played it, but I've rarely played Andromedans with, with the actual motherships. The, the only one was a campaign game. I still remember playing it because of... I did something which I thought was kind of um, inventive myself, which was... Um, it We had... We had, um, you know, scouts. And to have it so that the Andromedan scout, which was an eel, you know, relatively small, it was a satellite ship, um, it could actually use as much power as possible to use it for, e, you know, an EW. What I did was I actually, I, che- I make sure I checked on the rules first before I, I, I tried this to make sure I wasn't doing anything illegal, which was, I took the satellite ship and I attached a tractor from the mothership to the satellite ship and just had the mothership just drag the, the satellite ship all around wherever it went. Yeah, the, the mothership went slower but and took more power to move it, to, you know, to move, to move around the board because of basically the movement cost of the ship had increased by two-thirds, which makes things really Actually, it wasn't bad because of, I think, I forget if it was, if it was in, um, not Infester, but an Intruder. I think it might have been an Intruder. It wasn't, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was um, a Dominator. I think it was an Intruder. So it means that movement cost was one and two thirds movement cost, which is not too bad to, to calculate out. Uh, but, um, and you know, it, 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 I thought it worked out pretty well, you know. So because Lord knows the eel doesn't have that much power, and if you want it to use, you know, be able to support the other ships using EW, you don't want it using its batteries because you only, that means you only can use the batteries for so long before the batteries are completely drained. And that's why I was thinking about I, I, that's why I did what I did, which was basically drag the scout along. The only way to get get around that um, one is actually making the mothership your scout, which is basically what happens with um, the um, if you had like PF tenders. If you had, um, I was to say, I was about to say um, carriers, but I don't think carriers. The carriers ever really have um, special sensors? I don't think. Well, um, so I, don't I think, think the Andromeda mothership you're thinking of might be the uh, Infestor missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, those have yeah. special sensors and not yeah, the hangar yeah. bays. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like uh, if you're talking about scout carriers, yeah, because the Federation needs those um, to go after the RTN. Like for example, the the, the GVX 
has its uh, right. the same special functions as the GSA. Right, but, but I mean, uh, but I'm, I'm, I was talking about so, yeah, but I was talking about a standard um, carrier. A standard carrier didn't have um, special sensors, but a PF tender would. Over overall, it would actually have special sensors. If, I, I'm, I'm, if I'm recalling this correctly, it's it's been a while. I'll be honest. Well, the thing is, though, is that strategically speaking, it's not necessarily a good uh, ID trade-off for the Andromedans because they really need those um, mothership variants to reinforce the RTN, right? Because mm -hmm. they need to make sure that um, they're able to basically keep as many bases in 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 play and also relocate them if necessary and also upgrade them to base stations or battle stations or construction battle stations and so forth. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily, they don't have the flexibility that an Alpha or Omega Empire has in terms of um, assigning, uh, like converting some of their warships to those kind of mission variants because um, the more that they, they use on the line, then the weaker they're going to make themselves in the campaign overall. So right, right. It's technically, I mean, if you, if you only concerned about SSE, then uh, like duels, I should say, in SSE, then maybe it's it's something worth considering. But if you're planning any sort of campaign, it's um, it's not a, it might not be the best idea to lean too heavily towards using your investors or missionaries as uh, satellite ship tenders, tactically as in combat rather than using them as um, base support uh, variants. Right. Oh, I, I, oh, I understand. As, at a strategic level, yeah, you don't want, you don't want to um, waste those ships, you know, versus one of the, the smaller um, scouts, whether it's a courier or an, or, or an eel or uh, what's, oh, what, what was the one? Darn it. There was one where it was one of the large um, satellite ships. I, you know, the Mamba class. The Anaconda. Anaconda, thank you. Yeah. The, uh, actually, just to get back to the Orions for one more second. Is, uh, yeah, sure, by all means. One thing, one thing that I would think would actually be really welcome in uh, the Master Starship book would be a more, because as I say, we were just talking earlier about how the Tholian Master Starship book really thickens out our understanding of the home galaxy. And also it consolidates all of the material for the Tholians in the early years too. So you're getting basically three-ish distinct settings in terms of like the, the material you need to run them properly. But for the Orions, um, if you look at some of the, um, uh, uh, like I think Marshall R8, and also the various uh, Y modules. The Orion National Guard ships, they're not even the ones that stay loyal to the Orion Enclave. They're still published under R8. They're not published under the Federation uh, R section, like R2, like the same way that the Vulcan or Andorian or Terran ships are. So even if, like, I think actually, like if you wanted to try to basically flesh out what the Orion enclave is like as a government mm -hmm. and what kind of responsibilities they have within the enclave. And especially, like two, two major things is, 
what did they do when they went neutral during the general war? And also, how did they adapt to the Andromedan War? Because uh, it's one thing because the Klingons and Romulans were willing to accept uh, the neutrality of the Orion enclave for the duration of uh, that period of their history. Right, so because of it benefited them. Local, yeah, so they only had to worry about local defense issues and to include basically high mercenary Orion pirate ships to help you know, keep monsters and, you know, other kind of things at bay. But the Andromedans don't care about any of that. I mean, they'd be more than happy to conquer Orion and just get rid of the National Guard entirely. Mm-hmm. So um, that's not good business for the pirates who were in Orion, in, in the Orion enclave. And it's also not good business for Starfleet either because, like, they'd have to be able to intervene into the enclave to try to fight off any large-scale Andromeda incursion. So... That, that would actually open up some big, some big questions in terms of um, what is the political side of all this? Because the other thing, too, is um, um, even though the Orions came back into the Federation, um, do they still have the same bespoke deal that they had before? Or are there, are, are there like a different set of circumstances? Like, does the rest of the Federation, are they not particularly... Well, they, they probably aren't particularly happy over what happened either. So... Um, how how differently is Orion, the planet, and also the Enclave going to function through the end of the Andromedan War? And uh, would this product be a good place to try to you know, hash out those things and basically have it formalized for the first time? Or is it better to wait until the future issue of Captain Vogue and have it come up as like a, an article then and focus the Master Starship book on the Orions as pirates. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually bring up a question which I don't know, um, which is when it comes to the Master Starship books, do they focus mainly just on the ships or do they actually um, extend it to the actual background material of that empire? I never bought a Master Starship book. Not yet, anyway. Well, most of them, the ones I, the ones I've seen so far, um, they don't have to because, like, if you get the Klingon Starship book, I mean, the Klingon Empire is pretty well defined. So right. just like the only thing it's really missing is anything about the Vudar. But then, of course, I guess in theory, the Vudar would just get their own separate book later. Right, and then there's the, um, the subjected, so, so, subjugated, well, the other races that are within the Klingon Empire. So, yeah, none of, none of the other species that are subject to the Klingon um, have their own ships the way the Budar do. So, right, right, um, that, that is you true. You don't really have to worry about that. Right, that, that's why um, I was talking, we'll talk about background material and not, not necessarily focused on the ships. I mean, completely yeah. focused um, on the, the ships. The Federation, with the exception of the Orion ships, like all of the other National Guard ships, um, you basically subsume them, I guess, into either the earlier ships for the ones that they built separately, or the modern National Guard ships are basically just uh, Y-era saucer and Michelle ship, ships that have been handed down to the National Guards. So, um, yeah, you don't necessarily have to worry to the same extent. But with the Ryan, sorry, with the Tholians, they've actually, they went to the point of... Um, 
Petroleum Master Starship book does actually include a number of background articles that had been uh, published in Captain's Log, uh, particularly when it comes to the earlier Tholians, because um, that material is presented to help explain why the rules for the earlier Tholians are as distinct as they are. So, for example, um, uh, it gives you a list of the various um, earlier freighters that they use on the basis. And the background material explains that the reason why they're using those freighters is because they they lost freighter technology. Because even back in the home galaxy, right. the Tholians didn't build their own freighters. They let their subject planets build them uh, because it was like work that the Tholians didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. So when they showed up in the whole in, the, in our galaxy as, as exiles, they basically had to resort to capturing earlier Klingon freighters and using those. So, um, but then you have to ask yourself, like, well, why are they doing this? And then that's why the Captain's Log articles are included because then it gives you like a sense of just how uh, urgent the situation was for the Tholians in that time period. And so that basically explains why, in starting battle terms, you can only do X, Y, Z instead of A, B, C. So, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so it's uh, that part is actually really interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I think basically, I think the further into the Master Starship book uh, project they go, I think the more this sort of thing is going to start coming up. Because um, actually, here's another one: um, they haven't said anything about a wind cluster Master Starship book, but. Even before you get there, there is the question of the Orions of the Winchester, because mm-hmm. um, as an actual faction in and of themselves, they are also a factor. A factor. Now, so you basically have to start kind of wondering, well, um, how many, because of, of the ships that defend the Winchester at any given time, right. how many of those are win Orion ships? that the Orions have sold to, or given to the winds or sold to them. And so it's actually wind crews who are flying them. And how many of them are Orion pirate ships that are under the control of the cluster cartel that are helping out because they don't want to lose their, their shipyard either. Right. And not, not just like during the general war, like when the, the coalition empires try to barge in and take over the place, but like when the ISC or the Andromedans come along, um, at what point uh, is, are there enough ships to mean that if you're drawing up a scenario, you need to have those Orion ships accounted for on top of the wind navy ships that are there to, you know, defend, defend the place. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's actually a very different thing too, because most of the time when you're running an Orion, uh, like cartel or whatever in the mm-hmm. game, your bases are hidden. So, you're basically below the map in Federation Empire terms. Right. But that doesn't apply to the cluster cartel because everyone knows where they are. And they know, you know, in theory, they know how to get to them. In practice, it's a lot, lot, lot trickier. But so in a sense, the Orions in the cluster, they're a little bit more like a traditional empire in the sense that they have a fixed shipyard that they can't move. Although they, well, they can't, the other ones can't move like that, that, you know, would appear on that scale. And so you've got that kind of weird uh, kind of zone that they're in, in terms of 
accounting for them uh, in a product like this. So, but of course, that makes it more interesting to me. Like, mm-hmm. That's another reason why you want to buy the book because I mean, you probably need the Orion book. In, like, if you're a win player, like you wouldn't just get the win master starship book. You have the Orion one as well because you can't really have one without the other. Understood. Um, but I think the the main thing there is um, it only makes a difference in my mind anyway. If we're talking about in, uh, more of a strategic um, um, game versus purely um, tactical, you know, um, where it's just scenario after scenario, there's no context. You know, as I said, you'll which in the case of a strategic game, then um, context means everything. And I agree that uh, um, when it comes to the history of the wind cluster, the other, the, historically the, the winds in, the, in that cluster does not want to go away. You know, they don't want to give up their, their very advantageous um, situation that they have. You know, they, they have a place that they can hide and are basically protected inside you know, because they're inside the wind cluster you know so if you have a a, a, a local empire whether it's the klingons or the zinni um who are chasing after you know a pirate ship you know and they dive into the wind cluster you know okay they're they're, they're basically safe they're not gonna have a single ship go after that single orion ship you know, if, and there's, a, I would think it would be a rare thing that either Empire, you know, Klingons or, or, or Sinning, would actually want to send in an actual large enough force to get, you know, um, destroy or even just um, attack the, the Orion ship or, or get back whatever the Orion ship stole, you know. That made him want to come into the wind cluster to begin with. So, oh, jumping in. Oh, the yeah, I guess that's, that's, uh, that's. Yeah, yeah, Doug. Please jump in. Doug? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, uh, go on. Basically, yeah. I totally agree that, that going in there is basically suicide for the Navy ships on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. That's why they have their uh, scenarios where you go in and you've got all the different minuses, I should say, debuffs to your ship. Right, right. And invariably, um, it's when it comes to actually combat, you know, that's you have an outside ship wanting to come in, it's usually not to get another ship that's inside the wind clutch because of plain simple reason that you're going to be out of commission while, you know, when, as you have um, come into the wind cluster and the, the winds know you're coming. So, you know, basically what you're doing is just they'll easily capture your ship or blow it up, either one, whatever they want to do. Um, you know, for entering their territory, 
you know, I can, I can see them capturing and going, oh, thank you for the nice, nice ship. We'll see what we can do with it. Because <laughs> remember the, um, the pocket um, battleship, you know, which is, which is an interesting ship to say the very least. But yeah, um, that's the thing I've rarely done with sex is play the Orions because of, um, you know, whether whether it's tournament play or in a campaign, it's it's a it's a rare thing to do. I, I think I, I played it in a scenario one time where what we did was um, we have two sides. Of, of the battle for four players and we would team up you know each player would pick at their own empire and one case someone picked the orions and, and played but I, I forget who they what was the other empire on that side i forget but but you, know, you always have that those are always a bad thing overall because of that was one thing so when i was playing that one campaign with the andromedans that I was flying in against, which is the most nastiest combination, the Federation and the Hydrants. The Federation beaming, you know, takes their photons and knocks down your shield. The Hydrants are going to come in and go, oh, here's a Hellboard. Think. Just have, have some more, you know, some more damage just right there, you know, so... It's definitely a, a deadly combination, those two um, empires flying together, at least in a, ca a campaign. Yeah, so. I you know, I, I, I enjoyed playing in the, in that, in the campaign, you know, a couple, a couple being a captain you know, here and there, you know, and that's actually one of the things I got to do is get caught up on some of the updates to the ships that um, Frank is using. Because, you know, invariably, the, um, Frank, who's um, Frank LeMay, who is in you know, a never-ending campaign. Um, at least it seems like that. That he, um, you know, they find issues with the ships. By, by playing them, which is, hey, please play more. You know, I want you to find every single issue that we have with all the ships that we currently have and go from there. You know, um, there's all the 3D um, conversion, converted ships that he, that they're playing with. And, and invariably, they'll find an issue here or find an issue there. In some cases, um, it's the issue that they find is not because of, it's basically because of the way they did the conversion. Is what they did, and they didn't understand some of the um, support and how things worked within the client itself. Unlike um, Aaron Staley, who he knew he knew the tool very, very, very well. Um, he worked at the very beginning, and it was it was always awesome to see what you know the consistency of the product he created was always nice. Not nice to have. 
And Lord knows, even after he got, he did, he, he did the whole library one time, he started from the beginning again and re, was restarting, um, redoing, well, sorry, redoing the whole library all over again to make sure, you know, tweaks here, make it look better, make it um, have more uh, information available, you know, and this is what got us in trouble. So it is what it is. Sorry, got a train. Um, okay, I think with that, we'll, we will close it up for the evening. Gary, it's been wonderful to have you around. You have a good night. Have a good night, folks. Okay. Doug, the quiet one. <laughs> hey, that's fine. You know, you don't always have to... Always had to be uh, number one um, talking partner, I guess you could call it that way. But anyhow, you have a good night. You too, thank you. So tonight we got into talking about you know the the Orion Master um, Starship book, and also this just encourages people go there. That was one thing I did find out. I was, while we were we were well while we were chatting, one thing I was like, okay, wait a minute, are these available on the e tailors? And guess what? They are actually. That I just hit the wrong one, didn't I? I want that one's what I want. <laughs> so that's one. For those watching, you can see it. Here's got the the Tholian, the Gorn, the Federation. The Klingon, the Hydran, the Zinni, the Lyran, the Romulan, the LDR, which to me comes when it comes to LDR versus Lyran, there ain't that much of a difference. Except for, you know, there are some differences because of the LDRs have the, the Gatling phasers. So there's there's some differences there. Mainly in my mind is that the availability of ships was more limited in the LDR versus the Lyran. And that is it. You know, there's more Grips tra Traveler Classic first in, which is interesting. Anyhow, I figured you might want to see that. But, you know, that's, that's the Master Starship books there. So, by all means, purchase some of the ebooks. Actually, what I'm thinking about doing is. Um, not tonight, because I got too, things, too many things to get done after I log off here, which is maybe tomorrow, is go and bash that, buy that Tholian Master Starship book, because that, that sounded really interesting. Of course, first thing I have to do is make sure I didn't already purchase it. <laughs> that, would not be, that would not be the first time that I bought the same um, book multiple times. So with that, I am Paul Franz, and I bid you... A good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.